So you heard before you started your journey into tech that this is where the money is, right? And as a sharp guy that you are, you tired to get your hands on the money. So you did everything, networked, pitched, and now you are gainfully employed in tech and you're earning good money, probably in dollars. Nice. I'm happy for you. It's time for a lifestyle change. And to be honest, I agree with you. So you switch up, you change your car, you probably change your apartment, brush up your wardrobe, stuff like that. Cool. But have you stopped to think about the financial decisions you're making? Have you thought about the fact that this might not be the best decisions for you know your financial future. Well, on this episode of Beyond the Codes, we're sitting with Jude Dickey, the co-founder of Get Equity, an investment platform that came into the market with the mantra of challenging the status quo of startup financing and venture capital in Africa. We'll be discussing everything from startup financing to personal finance for techies. Hi, my name is Jephthah Uche and I'm a seasoned technology leader with years of experience crafting digital products and leading technology teams. I'm super excited to welcome you to this episode of Beyond the Codes with Jeff, where I have conversations with other amazing technology leaders. Please like, subscribe, and share this content with others so that they can learn as well. It definitely will be worth their time. Welcome, Jude. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Beyond the Codes with Jeff. I mean... This is our first time having you. What can we save you, sir? Water's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Water's uh, fine. Nice, 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 nice. So, um, how has your day been so far? Interesting, actually. So, I just finished. Um, I just finished an International Women's Day webinar. Uh, I'm going to see a couple of companies pitch for Techstars. Okay. After this, and then I still have another. Um, What's it called? Twitter space. So it's like today I'm doing non-CEO things <laughs> okay. for more ecosystem, ecosystem yeah. VC type things, yeah. which is very interesting so far. Oh, do, you, do you enjoy doing things like this? Yeah. Uh, I, I've been telling my friend recently that I'm, I'm seeing myself move away from being a tech bro now to being on the other side of the table and being an investor. So, so far, it's been interesting. Does that involve composing long Twitter threads? <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to. Sometimes it's, it involves, I, I mean, I'm still learning that part to just shut up mm. and laugh and overlook. Yeah. Hopefully I'll get to that point. I tell people it's youthful exuberance right now yeah where they make me <laughs> compost threads i feel you i feel you but I, I don't do i see you compost threads a lot i think i see you reply to things a lot you engage people you know you you don't just see it and leave it you go and engage the person why why and and it's really interesting because i i think i find your engagements quite like there's always you know a perspective that maybe the person is not seeing the view from yeah so sometimes it's just who is this noise maker again <laughs> But it's, it's what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. I feel you. So, um, yeah, like tell us, tell us more about your background. So I like to say I'm one of those people that was groomed for tech, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had the entry shebang. Um, my first PC when I was five. Um, shout out to my mother. And oh. then I had my first PC when I was five. Um, started the whole, did the whole Mavis Beacon teachers typing thing. Mm-hmm. And then my parents, on, well, I don't know if this is fortunately or unfortunately for me, my parents never really believed in the summer traveling kind of thing. So summer was always spent doing summer lessons somewhere. Yeah. And Very my father had this rule that for your just three long holidays, you'd get a, you go to like a computer school somewhere. I mean, I had a computer in my house. I don't know what I needed the computer training institute for but then um i went to one and it was um digital certification in design mm. so it was in computer design this was way back in 07 okay so you're building out we learned how to build out the whole nta logo do like close up using coral draw interesting all of the all of all those things and I think that was my first entry point into, oh, wow, I can create stuff. Okay. And then um, fast forward into Donwood Secondary School, where I'm going, um, I'm trying to get into uni. And I only ever had one school. It was Unilag. 
And I never really thought of okay. any other school. Yeah. And now I had a clash with my father, which was he wanted me to do the more electrical engineering. You know, all the all the illustrious sons <laughs> were electrical engineers with a bit of with a twist of IT. They were doing the CCNAs and all of that kind of stuff. And then here I am going, yeah, I want to do computer science and write programming. I mean, then I didn't even know it was programming. I just wanted to be a hacker. Yeah. Obviously, I never told my parents that, but my according to my father, it's like you want to go and do what they're doing in Comta Village, literally. But thankfully, I won the fight. Uh, yeah. The I mean, they had to bring a couple of people in that they respected. So yeah, it was it was a long term it was a long term thing. My father at once threatened not to pay my school fees, and then I'm like, it's is ten thousand naira. Like, you cannot be threatening that kind of thing. So anyways, fast forward, I got into Unilag uh, Computer Science and our first semester, they literally just threw us into programming. First semester in computer CSE 101, introduction to computer was, um, I think that was C++, if I'm not mistaken. But then in another course, we're doing Visual Basic. And I think the Visual Basic was the first course I did. Mm. It was the first class I did where we're given an assignment to create a calculator, um, an almighty formula calculator. For some reason, I think that entire thing shaped my entry point into tech. At first, I mean, I'd always been this guy who likes computers, knows how to use computers. But for the first time I was writing a program, I built something from scratch that took a life of its own. And it kind of made me feel like God. Mm-hmm. I mean, shout out to the big mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. It kind of made me feel like God. And since that time, it's been everything. I've, I've always been an inquisitive person, sometimes too inquisitive. But since that time, it's gotten me to always keep learning new things. Um, from there, I got into, uh, I think about like my 300 level I started, I stopped writing, I stopped coding just for fun because I actually found out that people were paying money for this shit Mm -hmm. that I was doing for fun. And I mean, the first time I got, I was paid, or we agreed on 50K to build like five different platforms. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, I think I only got like 10K out of it, but still, you know, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And it wasn't really about the money at that time. I didn't even know people were money making money out of tech. So I think it was the next, it was a follow-on year where, so after that five projects, now I had a portfolio, you know, I could yeah. command a bit more money. So then if I needed to do anything now, I was putting my price at 50K for one project. Mm. Okay. I was feeling, I was feeling like boy. a big boy. I mean, <laughs> this was, I mean... 400 i mean th- still i mean three i mean 300 level yeah and i'm like you know back then allowance in for people in school was like 20k Whoa. but here I, am, I mean one project would take maybe one week and i could make 50k in one week so i feel like a big boy fast forward into 400 level um actually no that was my 400 level so fast forward into 500 um and my price has increased now to 70k. So I'm like, I'm chilling, right? In my mind, I'm chilling. Oh and then one of my classmates um, reaches out to me and asks me if, you know, how much it'll cost to work on um, a platform, right? At this, you know, this was, you know, the early, so it's 2014. There wasn't any, there wasn't backend or frontend. It was literally mm-hmm. the full platform. So, I mean, I just blotted out, yeah, my price is 70K. Feeling like a big boy. And then the guy goes, oh, okay, fine. Um, so we go to meet the actual person who owns the project. And then he tells me not to say anything that he would do the talking. And then when, you know, we've done the whole, we've done the introduction and everything. The guy now asks, so how much um, are we going to do? My friend just blurts out 120K each. I'm there with the shock in my eye. Like, what is, what is... <laughs> And yeah, agrees. He's like, yeah, go. So you guys will sign this, sign here. We signed it. A week later, like, I can still remember exactly what I was doing when I got the credit alert for. So we'd agreed on an installment of 100K and then 20K when the project is done. 
So like literally 100k bank alert comes in. I am a big boy. <laughs> Definitely. I am a big boy. Definitely. I mean, a semester is give or take four months. 20k a semester is 80k. I have a full semester's amount in my bank account. I'm chilling. <laughs> Which is even weird because like two, three months later, no, two months later, the same guy, um, now the owner of the company, right, reaches out to me for another thing and we agree on 250k. So I'm like, wow, you know what? <laughs> take money. That is it. <laughs> take money. So as at this time, I, yeah, you know, take yeah. money. Yeah. And th- as, as at this time, right, um, what had even happened is the person that we now did the 250k gig for um, kind of snatched me because it was... Um, it was about two months to my graduation. So I did the project for two months. Yeah. In fact, this project for two months, the guy liked me. And then apparently the first person or the person who like I was doing projects for was already planning that, you know, once you graduate, yeah, hey, you and I'll put you on a salary. This is where you're going to come and work in. Little did he know that the person that we're building this 250k gig had all that things in mind. He's like, look, I like what you, I like you, I like what you do. Come and work for me. Now, the deal breaker in this instance is that the other person that's the big man now, let me call him big man, yeah. has an apartment with the gig. Ooh. So here I am, I'm graduating, I'm moving to an apartment in Lekki. Damn. My life was soft that period. Dave. So, as at this time, you know, there's not much startups operating. Yeah, this is still 2015. I mean, Paystack hasn't become Paystack. They haven't gone to YC. Yeah, but you know, things started growing. Fast forward 2016, I leave that gig um, because the apartment has expired. I'm now I'm now a big boy. I'm 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 picky and choosy. Mm. The apartment had expired. I needed to come from home. Um, to the office. Yeah. I'd done that for three weeks, fell ill. I was like, nah, this is not the will of God for me. <laughs> so fortunately, um, as at that time when I was ill, my friend, another friend had reached out to me and said, hey, so there's this company that is looking to hire. Uh, do you want to interview? And I came there. The interview was a couple of minutes. They asked how much you want to, and I just blotted out 250 so my first, after I had finished, you know, all those 252 yeah. month gigs, the first stable job I had gotten was 150 monthly. Okay. So that was my first job out of uni. Okay. And well, after tax, everything was 120. So this one, I just blot out 250 nets. We shall beat it down to 200K. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, big boy. Turns out this other place too comes with a house, but not just a house, comes with a cook as well. Uh-uh. So I'm like, I'm in the Ooh. life, right? I mean, I mean the sweet life. And I worked at that place. While working at that place, I was still getting gigs from mm. that first guy that wasn't able to hire me. I was still getting gigs from him. My standard pricing now was 200K per gig. Mad. So life was good. Interesting. Everything was fine. Pretty much sweet, all of that. See, I've even forgotten the question you asked me. But yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah like just, that, literally yeah. It, it kept adding up. Um, I left that place. I think I worked there for about a year and about 18 months. And in that 18 months, so fast forward into the beginning of 2018, um, someone reaches out to me from... So I've I quit with, I mean I'm at this new place that has okay. this new house. Yeah. But then the previous place that I worked in with the previous house, someone from there had reached out to me and said, "Well, he has a couple of friends. They're Canadian Nigerians. They want to start a business, and they need an engineer." And because I heard Canadian engineers, I'm like, "Look, this is my chance. We've been talking about earning in USD, so fuck it." <laughs> We're about to do this. Yeah. So Next we level. have a conversation, blah, blah, blah. We talk about it. They ask how much. I go $30 per hour. I'm like, I'm this $30. I mean, I checked yeah. all the people that I'm back then. You didn't have guys you could compare with. I yeah. mean, back then, earning in USD was unknown of. There were only, I think you count the people who were earning USD off the palms of, of your fingers and they were gods to us. So I go $30 an hour and they agree. 
I mean, obviously, it would convert into Naira and they'll pay yeah. me the Naira equivalent. That's the first time I saw a millionaire. So they gave me a project, $30 an hour. How long would that take? I think it was supposed to take a little over a month, maybe a month or two months or something like that. Yeah. But bam, I get my first installment, a millionaire. Oh. Clean. I'm like, yes, we're, we're in it. <laughs> I mean, this is the life. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, it's it's a... From there, I'm working there. I finally leave the job that came with the house. Now I have to look for an apartment. I got mm-hmm. an apartment. Yeah. Started working in a bank. Um, that, that part was very interesting. If some friends of mine are, were building out the digital arm of a traditional bank. And they were building a, t- a digital banking product for them. And the bank was also... Um, the bank also had internal projects that they wanted to be able to do. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this was Sterling Bank anyways. They had internal projects they wanted to do. So my friend was like, look, they were there focusing on this. They wanted to hire me and a couple of other people to focus on their others. Yeah. So I kind of was like the team lead for the outsource. So he had built a team mm, that makes internally sense. in the bank. Yeah. And that team now had, let me call them, they had their internal part. So I kind of led the outsourcing arm for the other products that the bank themselves wanted to build. So yeah. I was doing this on a uh, on a freelance. So here I am earning freelance from the Canadian guys and then freelance from the bank. I mean, all adding together, it was a bit over 500. So I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm a big boy. Yeah. Uh, me and my friends do a trip to Rwanda where we're living the life. <laughs> I mean, one of those projects um, from the bank ended up being Altmo. Uh, oh, that okay. finally launched in, I think, 2021. But then we had built that in like since like 2019. Uh, a second one, another that was a an exchange actually that never saw the light of day, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, but it's still there. From what I hear, it's still being used internally. That's so, like with those things, after the bank, I had a drought because now the bank's projects have finished. Yeah. Yeah, nothing else. What next? I'm looking for US gigs. Yeah. I finally get one that now even made me drop the Canadian one. So this is the first time I'm actually seeing cold hard you know, US currency. Cold hard dollars. Yeah. As an earning. So this is 2019. Um, 2019, I think about August or September. I get a gig. And the gig is beautiful. It's $4,000. My head is spinning. I'm like, yes, I've made it. Mama, I've made it. Unfortunately, that also came with my very first experience of um, imposter syndrome. Because now this is me who was earning, I wasn't earning up to a million before. Mm Mm-hmm. Now I'm earning $4,000. I think at that time, $4,000 was about $1.4, $1.5. So I'm like, yo. And for the first time, I'm speaking with white, like I'm speaking with spree spree, so typical white people. <laughs> yeah. I'm the first black person. Interesting. On the team. On the team. At that same time, because I'd, I'd applied to two companies. So at that same time, I'm also working for a crypto company. But then the crypto company wasn't necessarily paying much. In fact, it was paying like maybe $400. Okay. Right? But I was working there because I liked what it was that they were yeah. doing. Yeah. Which would later turn out to be great for me. Um, so I, I start with the... I mean, I, long story short, the Spree Spree company fires me because, I mean, I was not contributing. And... The crazy thing is, during the interview, all of that, I I was literally told I was the best they had. And the reason why is that a lot of the things that they were planning to scale into, yeah. I'd done them You're before. Done them so before. the dockerization, um, and this was core engineering, right? Dockerization, how they structured the DB, yeah. all of the, some of the tools that they were thinking of using. Yeah. I had already used those tools. Okay. But now we're having architecture discussions and... I'm not even hearing what somebody's saying. So I don't even know <laughs> yeah. how I'm contributing, where yeah. to interject and where to contribute. And then someone goes, okay, so Jude, what do you think? I'm like, huh? <laughs> so it was it was horrible. I, and now, now that I think back, mm. at it, it was really horrible. So yeah. I got fired, right? And um, I, under, I, went, I underwent a drought because, because I saw my performance dwindling. 
I'd quit the crypto company so that I'd focus more on um, this. And the one that's actually yeah, paying me money, exactly. right? And then Nigeria was also happening in the sense that internet was horrible. Even though I had three types of internet, it was still horrible. But anyways, long story short, I got fired and I was trying to get more gigs September of 2019. Unfortunately, nobody's hiring. And at that time, I wasn't looking at Nigerian companies. So I even decided, you know what, let me even try out Nigerian companies. Yeah. And it was crazy because I kept interviewing, but I wasn't getting any final decisions. It was always, oh, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. I got frustrated. And that's even when I took to Twitter mostly to talk about, you know, um, I started doing this thing where, you know, my interview questions, I just go out. I go ask them on Twitter. And it turned out, uh, you know, it was helping a lot of people. Um, even people, like, we were having arguments over what was the best way to solve this, blah, blah, blah. Good thing is 2020 opens up and, um, if I can't remember correctly, okay, I think my my girlfriend at the time has a friend who's looking for an engineer. They're starting a program and... They're looking for an engineer that will be the face of it. It's an outsourcing company, uh, right? And so, uh, I mean, it's I say it's it's a perfect fit for me. So I interview, I get it. They're even happy. They're like, yes, this is exactly what we're looking for. They outsourced me to the company. I think then I was getting paid what so I think people are taking Naira seven hundred k. So I mean, it wasn't like what I was getting before, but it wasn't but, bad. Yeah. And then another com- crypto company reaches out to me. Because I've always dabbled in crypto since um, about 2018. I've always been a crypto engineer. So the um, Canadian guys I was working for, I was building crypto infrastructure for them. So literally, I, I mean, now I'm I'm getting back into the zone. Mm. 2020, I'm now earning yeah. back the equivalent of what I was earning from those UK guys. Yeah. Even though I'm getting paid only in Naira. Which is fine for me. All well and good. I've, I did that... Um, to the middle of the year and then the outsourcing company goes uh or the company i was being outsourced to goes they can't afford us anymore so the project has to end now the outsourcing company actually tried to hire me internally um but i didn't like the requirements so now i'm back to 700k Uh. then my life has always been weird it has always been just People just handpicking things and giving it to me. Um, the first crypto company I talked about that I worked with, yeah, um, that I had to leave because of the US gig. Now, my engineering manager at that time turns out he started out his own business. Oh. Uh, he started out his own company, and he needed an engineer to work with, and he had liked me, so he reached out and he hired me on the spot. So now I'm back to earning <laughs> okay. good money. Yeah. Um, all of this goes into 2020, into 2021. 2021 is soft, is good. 2022 happens and it gets even crazier and even better because I now got a gig that paid way more than whatever expectations. I was, I got a gig in, um, well, basically California. Okay. In a crypto company. So I quit all my other gigs. Right now, at this point, in my drought in 2019, I started working on a side project. I was, and this was from a crypto version. It was, I was saying, what if companies could do ICOs where people could invest in them? Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it was play-play, right? I had um, a friend of mine who was working with me on it as well. So now by 2022, by 2021, that play-play was starting to look like you know, I could put more effort into it. And we started doing that too. Yeah. This is 2021 where startups, in fact, from 2019, the startup ecosystem in Nigeria had yeah. blossomed. 2020, it's blew up. So 2021, yes, now we're all in startups. Yeah. So everybody's an engineer on one side doing a startup <laughs> thing on the yeah, side. Like, yeah, yeah. Just everybody's side project now is now becoming a startup. So I was one of those. By 2022, I get into this um, no, by 2021 ending, I get this nice gig. It's, oh, actually, I'm the one missing the time. It's 2021 that I get that gig. And it was amazing. I got the gig in the beginning of 2021. It paid me a, a shit ton of money. It was over 100K, yeah. Yeah, that's good. So it was a shit ton of money. It was really good. 
Um, so now I, unfortunately for me, that plea plea gig has now gotten to the point where I'm talking with VCs. I'm talking with potential investors. Interesting. And so I have to make this decision. What am I going to do? Do I want to remain as a tech pro? Do I want to pursue this? And that's my third time being a founder. So even the Canadian guys, I'd worked with them to the point where they had made me a co-founder. Oh. And then prior to that in uni, uh, my final year, I had started a startup that well, almost got venture backed because they ghosted us. I don't know why. After we I agreed on terms. But yeah, so this was like, yeah, the cosmos is telling me I need to do this. Okay. So I leave tech bro money. Mm, that's crazy. With my savings, beginning of 2020, as I around that 2021, I think also mid of 2021, we got our first 100K investment from Greenhouse. So I'm like, yes, now I have, okay. like VCs have invested in. So somebody has actually given me $100,000 for something that came out of my head. Now I have to do this. Yeah. So I quit my jobs, everything, and start becoming a founder. And that's how Get Equity was born. <laughs> that's so interesting. Crazy. And I mean, it's what it is till now. <laughs> two years, almost, almost two years in the making. I think we're yeah. going to be two years in July. Well, well, at, at at what point, like in all of this journey, did you ever think maybe I'd end up a founder one day? So, I'd always, even from, um, I like to say that I'd always thought, dreamt I was going to be a business owner. Um, yeah, from when I was a kid. Okay, but the actual time it cemented was when I was sixteen. Um, Direct personal issues, um, direct personal issues in the sense of, I remember growing up, both my parents are carrier individuals, right? Okay. I'd always seen their life. I'd always told myself I was never going to be that long-term carrier individual. Mm -hmm. I was always going to be a business owner. I mean, down to the point, I think sometime when I was 18, a girl I was toasting at the time, here's here's an 18-year-old stupid kid telling, toasting a babe and telling the babe that, at one of my delusional times when they are rubbing my head, I was like, yes, by the time I am 40, I want to have a business that's making $10 million in annual revenue. I can't even remember how in the hell. So this is this is where I would attribute to novels that I used to read. So I'd read a lot of novels that, you know, had to do with business owners. Yeah. So I'd known the meaning of revenue, all of that kind of stuff. So here's me bragging to somebody rubbing my head that... Yes, and by the time I'm 40, I'm going to have a business that's doing $10 million in annual revenue, and I'll retire. Wow. So my plan, the plan of my of an 18-year-old me is to retire at 40. At 40? I don't know. Maybe in my workout, maybe yeah. why not. But the ramblings of a, of a 14-year-old congee-starved kid <laughs> that was trying... I don't know if he was trying to... I don't know if I was trying to get the babe to like him that much yeah. or whatever, but I, I tell people that that's literally the life I'm living right now. Interesting. All of this had been planned ahead yeah. by an 18-year-old's brain. That's 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 very interesting, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I'm definitely one of people that will say I... I identify very much as an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, because, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of... You know, have the same upbringing, uh, um, you know, to a large extent. Um, my parents were career people, but they had like businesses on the side, and we were well off, you know, to a very large extent. But then I saw that they had friends who were like full time entrepreneurs or business people. I mean, uh, not all of them were doing great at the time, and so it created this image of entrepreneurship for me that looked like stuff ahead. Like, man, <laughs> I'm not going to do this, right? I'm just going to go work for someone and then it's going to be about their money. The risk will be on their money. And when she goes, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, things went bad and I'm going to move somewhere. So not have the risk on myself. Um, but yeah, like here we are. <laughs> for me, the risk was opposite because yeah. so when I turned 14, um, my father was let go. Ooh. And my father was let go not for any particular reason, just because, I mean, they were at, they were the ones running the company. It was a federal government-owned company. And so they had sold it to a private entity. I see. And, I mean, they came with their own people, all of that. So 
it changed the entire psyche for me. It's like, like you've given 31 years of your life. Yes. My dad had worked straight up with the federal government for about years. 31 years. Got into the very top, right? I'm like, 31 years of your life and that's it. Somebody, private, a private business just comes and says, well, we're sorry. Damn. So for me, obviously it changed a couple of things in, um, in, in finances. I mean, I went from being not thinking about money mm-hmm. to, yeah. okay, I mean, now you can still afford it, but you need to think yeah. about it first. Yeah. And so that, that just hit me with, yeah, I never want to be in that situation where I'm going to be at anybody's mercy in that particular aspect ever again. That makes a lot of sense. So that was my own risk into why I was always going to end up as an entrepreneur. That makes sense. I did not know that entrepreneurs, they suffer. <laughs> I did not know. I mean, and I think that that's a very key component of what we are discussing today. So we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about founders mm-hmm. and, you know, cause um, I had one of my team members put out a poll on Twitter and, you know, asking about some of the things people now understand about um, tech money and someone just wrote like founders are broke, but we're going to come back to that. Right. Um, but let's talk about how you handled, like, you know, or some of the decisions you made during those crest and troughs, you know, the times when um, you had like, you know, you were earning good and the times that things were, you know, are those things that everybody, every engineer, for example, every tech person should expect to have. And um, if you were to go back, how would you plan to make better, you know, better decisions around those things. Okay, so are those things that people have? Yes, I can. I I like to think that I have some of the highest flyers in Nigerian tech as friends, as close friends, and every single one of them has had that experience sometime in their life. You've had an experience where you were making really good money. You've yeah. had an experience where you were poor. Um, but. I'd also say that my upbringing kind of had me desensitized to money. Mm. So I was always, again, my upbringing in the sense of we had money. Now we started thinking of things that you would have to buy, all of that kind of stuff. So, and getting back to the point where I started to have money again, I was very desensitized to money. Money literally became an end to a, a means to an end. To an end yeah. And then it was also knowing that I had people I could fall back on. So... Yes, I had periods when I was piss broke. But then I was always not so far away from someone who I knew that I trusted enough and trusted me enough to give me a loan mm. that I would pay back in the future. Plus, I've always just had this thing in mind that the money is just going to come. The money is just in my front. It, it just never entered my pocket yet. <laughs> that- so that's always been, that's been my mindset. Yeah. Obviously... I, I attribute that mindset to a large part of my upbringing. Yeah. And the fact that I know that I've done pretty well for myself in my career. If I were to stop being a founder, I will still be very much employable. Yeah. So it's knowing that that thing of bad as he bad, mm. right? It's knowing that bad as he bad, I'll still be good, allows me to be, to play a little bit more with risk. And Again, I don't have black taxes to pay. Or let me say my own black tax is a different type. Yeah. Right? Some people black tax is about feeding their families. Mine black taxes, am I paying for my baby sister's tuition to the UK? Yeah. So it's, it's different. In that kind of instance, even my baby sister is someone who I'd brought into tech, earns enough in tech to be able to live well off on her, on her own. I mean... My mother is still a civil servant. My mother works for the federal government. My baby sister earns mother my mother. Interesting. So I don't, I'll put it that I don't have black tax to pay. Okay. So for me, I'm able to take out more risk. I'm single. I don't have black tax. It means that, yes, you can be a bit risky with how it is. Things like this will change if I'm married, right? Or I have a family. That makes sense. I have to think of those. So it's also what drives me in the sense of, I can't remember. There's someone in my life had told me this is that this is the best time for you to play, mm. with, to be, to make as much risk as you want to. If it works, fine. You're good to go. Yeah. You know, it pays off in the long run. If it doesn't, at least you know that there's something to lean back on. Your worst case scenario is that, oh, um, it didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, give or take, if 
um, my worst case scenario of, let's say, get equity not working out is the fact that I still have two years of being a founder, of being a high-flying founder, yeah. which still adds to my career. So the risk is actually very minimal. So your, your, your biggest leverage, your, your biggest insurance against like, you know, any of these risks, you would say is um, that, you know, the hard is lack of responsibility. Lack of responsibility. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Lack okay. of responsibility. That makes sense. Is the biggest, right? There's also the fact that I have those skills. Those skills. I'm still honing those skills. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the lack of responsibility is not something people... I rank that one highest. I rank that one highest because... Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if you have hard skills or whatever. If you can't chop, you can't chop. True. Right? And let's say you had a family with a kid, right? It's a very different... Every a week or every single passing day that you're not able to fend for them yeah. is very detrimental. True. Now, I mean, for myself, how much will I spend on myself? Maybe not much. Maybe maybe I've gotten to a certain level of comfort, but at least I can afford to let go of comfort because for only myself. Yeah. I can afford to lean on other people. But if you have a family, then it's a, your burn, your burn rate, let me call it that, is a, is a, is a bigger margin. So, so, so... If I were to be getting into tech today, right? If I was, you know, just um, this person who got so excited about tech, you know, just hearing about the money and all, um, and I was trying to get into tech today, um, let's say I do not have, you know, the flexibility that you do in terms of responsibilities, right? What would you, you know, advise me to target at my highest leverage? So first is your age. I mean, if you're young, look go for it yeah go for it the worst case scenario is it didn't work you tried another thing and i think in my in my career i've been able to see people people's entire family like class yeah change yeah. just because they got into tech right and they were able to grow in tech so i'd say look the upside is amazing the downside is that it didn't work. You try another thing. Now, if you're older, there's a couple more things to leverage. What do you have experience in? So I know when some people ask me that they want to get into tech, many times the first thing that they think of is um, code. Code, yeah. But then um, now I tell people that there's there's other things outside of code. And in fact, it's why some people say, I want to get into tech, but I'm not sure my head can carry code. I'm like there's there's many other things to tech. The tech is in itself is an industry that is adjacent to every other industry. Yeah. When a digital age, so every other industry exactly. now uses tech. Exactly. Now, if you're much older, it means you have experience doing something. You must have had experience doing something. Now, look at the tech adjacent of what you have been mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. It's not so you don't do a complete. 180 and then just turn from let's say you were a doctor you want to do a complete 180 and yeah, now yeah. start writing code that makes sense you can start to be a domain expert in a health tech company exactly exactly now you're fusing what you currently know no yeah and now you're moving it into getting into the tech scene and the beauty of this thing is that those healthcare companies probably pay even more than what you've earned as a doctor. Yeah. Because now I've met people who were able to as much as 5, 10x their salaries just from moving from a traditional work that they were doing yeah. directly into some of the startups coming up. Yeah, yeah. So all these things... It, it, uh, all these things, again, depend on, you know, what... what your age, um, your experience, all of that kind of stuff. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I talk about this a lot um, when I discuss with people because I think maybe the purest form of tech would be, you know, when we apply it to things like chat GPT and the rest, right? But almost every other thing is an application in domain, exactly. in domain, right? And so if you have a background in banking, it's a very relevant experience to people who are building fintech companies. Exactly. Right. So your switch to tech doesn't mean you go pick up a laptop and start coding. Exactly. Right. It could be to play right at, at, at your strengths. And I think this is something that people miss a lot and it's yes. not talked about enough. Yes. So it's why when I see, I see um, threads and then um, 
sometimes I'm like, and I also see um, what they call the training institutes. Yeah. Uh, I've been on a space once where someone was asking why the companies not hire um, directly from training institutes. And I was saying, look, the honest truth is it's almost not going to work unless, like for me, I'm embedded in the Nigerian tech ecosystem. There's no person who wants to give me on the early, on the early, should I say, on the entry level yeah. that I wouldn't have gotten myself. Mm-hmm. True. And if I'd gotten myself, like say, if I if I ask any of these, any of the training institutes now, maybe they send me 50 CVs or 20. Let's even say, okay, they see did give me 20. Yeah. I have to sift through 20. <laughs> now, there's a chance that none of those 20s meet my standard. High chance. Very high chance. But if I'm asking within my network, now, yeah. I have an embedded network of people who already know what I am looking for. Yeah. If I ask within my network and I'm sent three people, it's granted that at the very least, 60, 70% of those people that are sent to me already meet my standard. Yeah. So now it's that I'm spoiled for choice. So that makes sense. If you're doing a training institute of which, you know, many training institutes right now are focused on people who want to get into tech. So entry level, they're not focused on people who want to become adjacent into tech. Exactly. There's no one there, which is where, and I tell people that, look, a lot of startups, unfortunately, startups are young and it's a move fast, break things. Yeah. Nobody has time to say you want to train someone. um, So for people to learn as they go, not really we're looking for people who would bring in experience and keep it running. That's it. So if you're looking for all of the, it's traditional businesses that have, that have that, that have gotten to that level that have like training institutes and all those sort of things. So if you yourself say you want to be a training institute, it's all well and good. You have to be able to partner with existing. If you're providing me a service and you're providing that and you're creating that service in a black box without me being engaged in being, it. Yeah, yeah. How do you know, how do you get that feedback mechanism? True. true. And it's the problem I've seen with all of them. Yeah. It's the fact that there's no feedback mechanism. You're creating, let's say, uh, a training for DevOps. Yeah, maybe there's a standard way of doing DevOps. But... There's the way you do DevOps in class. <laughs> and then there's the way you do your DevOps in the real world. Actually, there's a way you do DevOps in any other company. And there's a way you do DevOps in FinTech. <laughs> That's, do you understand? So, all those nuances, those yeah. are what people are looking for. I'm not hiring an entry. Le- those are what people are looking for, all those yeah. nuances. So when people say, oh, companies are not hiring, and then founders are saying we're looking for talent, everybody's yeah. confused. Right, everybody's saying, ah, you're looking for talent, but these are talent here, but that you're not hiring. Yeah. So the word is we're looking for the right talent. And unfortunately, when you're building in a black box away from those who are actually looking for the talent, you're not able to get the idea of what exactly are they looking for. Yeah. You're building what you think they are looking for. And then you drop you drop into the market and you're like, no, this is not what I want. This makes makes a lot of sense. It's like I go into a pharmacy and I'm asking for Panadol, but everybody's trying to give me a uh, paracetamol. I'm like, yeah. no, this, this is specifically what I want. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think that, you know, when you talk about the adjacency, it's something people really don't like. I mean, there, I don't think there is any training institution right now. I don't think there's a training institution right now um, that is trying to get people who have a background in banking, for example, you know, into fintech, right? Like who's like merging that? Because I've seen people who are in business and then they're asking questions like, I really want to get into fintech. Like they want to get, but they don't know what they're missing, right? But they're, they're in business. There's a lot of them. And yeah. I, it's why I see a lot of, look, I, I tell founders most times, anybody in fintech, I go, look, the best way to get talent yeah. is to go and phone from a bank. From a bank? Yeah, I agree with that. So now a lot of founders have started learning, actually. You work in fintech, you want a risk person, your risk person is is stuck inside a bank somewhere. A bank somewhere yeah. Your risk person is stuck inside a bank somewhere earning 350 that's that's a high salary for, for, for but you in a fintech you are you're you are able to pay up to 700 which yeah. is twice their salary yeah they have the experience that you need that you because need. they've done what you're trying to do on a much larger scale true so go to the bank and go and look for true. them very true now then is this is where sourcing agencies need to come in yeah sourcing agencies need to come in for that for those particular niches 
But I guess until we see them, we we all wait. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> I mean, just going back to you know to the topic of, of our conversation. I mean, this is probably an entirely different um, podcast conversation because I think it's <laughs> it's very important. Like, no, seriously, I think it's so. I have. I mean, going off tangent once again, I have been with an, someone who um, who's an event manager and she's telling me, oh, I want to get into tech. I'm like, how many people do you manage, right? I, oh, I work with a team of 11 people. Like, you'd be a great project manager. My current marketing <laughs> manager used to start it out as an event planner. Exactly. And so what I did was to get her um, was to get her training on product management, on project management. Project management. And then... With the events and everything, that's that has typically historically been a part of marketing. Yeah, yeah. And now get her on products on project management and on product marketing, and she was able to get that switch exactly and that tangent. And now she's so whatever events that um, when you when my company requires uh, planning of an event, she already has she already has experience yeah, with that. Yeah, if yeah. it's on the product marketing aspect, now she's getting experience. In that, that makes sense. And I have two sides of a coin. That makes a lot of sense. And all I needed to do was invest in Udemy videos. <laughs> true, true, true. Okay, so let's talk about people who... Um, so there, there is this thing that happens, especially for engineers, um, where you go from earning to 50K to 1.5 million. Happens for a lot of people, right? I <laughs> I have a lot of personal stories around this. Um, but, you know, what happens... Also, alongside that is the fact that your financial intelligence doesn't just suddenly get upgraded. Like you exactly, could, you could burn that money for six months, like without realizing. Hey, like you know, it, it seems like a lot of money. You know, it just all at the same time. Seems like a lot of money until you get to that. So I think this is where a class thing is. Yeah. So if all you've done was two hundred and fifty k, right? Yeah. One million looks like a lot of money until True. you start earning one million. Mm-hmm. And then you find out your standards have increased. One million is yeah. now kind of like 250. 250K again. True. So, so so how do you... It only ever takes a couple of months. A couple of months. How do you, how do you build this financial intelligence along the way that, you know, that makes you make the best of anywhere you are, right? So that... I mean, you can also well prefer, prepare for the, the down times, you know, probably when you don't have money and, and things like that. So, I mean, I like to, I personally would say I read a lot. Um, secondly, my biggest influence is Twitter, okay. actually. Um, so, I know people tend to talk about the vices of Twitter, but Twitter has been the biggest learning experience for me ever. Um, wow. My, vent- my switch into venture capital was very public. It happened on Twitter. as following the right people, etc. So... It's, I think for me, it's what's your network and your network in this instance is who's your peers. Um, If your peers were all people who also were earning 250, have never seen that million before, you need to be able to look at people who have passed through that process and were successful. Mm. In Mm. many instances, Mm. if you reach out to them, there's, if you reach out to five, three will answer you. And if you reach out well, because another thing we need to talk about uh, that we don't have as a culture is an approach culture. Yeah. We're very horrible at it. Um, in this part of the world, we're very horrible at approach culture. Um, I like to tell people that when you're approaching someone, you need to state who you are, what you do, what you want from them. Straight up. Straight up. Let the person look at it at a glance. And decide. If they want to help you, they will decide in seconds yeah. if they want to continue that conversation with you or not. True. But if you're doing hi, boss, how are you? And you're waiting for the person to reply hi back before you. I'm sorry. Most, many people are too busy for that. That makes sense. So reach out to people. They will tell you how they did things. Now, for me, it, it was, I'd always looked at um, certain people who were investing in startups. I'd always loved the idea. Okay. And because um, I was already getting embedded into, I was already embedded in the startup ecosystem. So I was seeing a couple of deals fly around, but I just never had the money at that time. And so when things changed for me and I started earning quite a bit, um, for me, it was a no-brainer. I became an angel investor. 
So I think in my portfolio, I think it was uh, as a December last year, I did a rundown of my portfolio and I think I've invested right now in over 10 companies. Um, one of my companies, I mean, again, it's a risk, right? It's yeah, just it's, like it's doing risk. anything. So I've lost money in one of my companies, but then again, one of my companies has returned my investment in that company, which was about $5,000 has returned enough money to cover all I invested in all the others. And there's still a little bit of change. That makes a lot of sense. So for me, this is something that I know I'm going to recycle and keep doing over time. Um, Everybody, different people have their own different cases. I mean, Jay-Z talks about buying art. Yeah. I have a friend right now that buys art. I keep saying, guy, what is wrong with you? But then later it hits me. It's actually an investment. Yeah. And art has historically done better than even the stock market over the past 20 years. Art has gotten more gains than even the stock market. So in some cases that people see, oh, these are things that wealthy people do. Yeah. Actually go study what work. That, that is it. If you run into money, go study what wealthy people do. That f- those frivolous things that you think are frivolous, yeah. Go and study why they do those frivolous things. So many people will look at uh, Jay Z buying art and go, "What? Yeah, buying something that girl's going to hang on your wall and look at it, and that's the end." But now, nah, it's buying it for investment purposes. Yeah. Um, people who buy jewelry. I mean, I know people who do who buy gold. I'm wearing gold. I mean, mine is for decoration, obviously. But there's people who invest (laughs) in jewelry, in gold. And because the price of gold goes up, right? There's people who put their monies in stock markets because it goes up. There are people who do mutual funds because it goes up. So things like that. Look at why rich people do certain things. In fact you'd be trying to compare yourself with a wealthy person. Meanwhile, you're using your money to mm-hmm. ball. ball. That wealthy uh, person is most likely using dividends of their money to ball. ball. Those two very separate things. That makes sense. A wealthy person is more likely using the profits, the returns on his investment yeah. to do their parting and all of that. But you're using your capital to party. That's where the difference lies. That's so it. I'd say, look at, study what wealthy people do and mm-hmm. study why they do why what they, they do. do. they do. That's so deep. That's really deep. That's really deep. I think that, I think that that's, that's, that probably summarizes this whole conversation because I, I think that <laughs> that's the biggest thing that happens, right? Like, engineers mm-hmm. like, you know, tech guys generally will have, oh, I'm ending block. Now I'm ending, <laughs> I'm ending block. So what do I do with all of this, right? So I could go buy the latest car. Um, I mean, you know, just buy a good car. Let me just put it that way. Buy. I mean, in some instances too. So yeah. it, it's why I, I tend to like, as far as you know, what drives you. Yeah. All right. You know what it is. Again, still study what other people do. But as far as you know, what drives you. Um, I've seen people who have bought what would be referred to as expensive cars. Mm-hmm. Now, some people say, yeah, a car is not an investment. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, yeah. I, yeah. Would, I would argue that it depends. Now, you're investing in your car because you want to be addressed a certain type of way. Yeah. You're investing, you're paying for a query club because you want access to certain networks. Those things, they seem like frivolities. Equity club is about $3,000 yearly. They seem like frivolities. Oh my God, you're paying for a career club because you want to feel among. That feel among that you call it is referred to by the wealthy people as networking. Yeah, true. And that networking, once you're in certain spaces, just by the by proximity, yeah, provides you a little. Your access. wealth is also generating. Yeah, because you get access. I mean, people say opportunities where. Uh, is where something meets something. I can't remember one of those things. Uh, yeah, where um, luck, uh, luck is where opportunity meets, meets preparation. preparation. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so some people would look at it like, oh yeah, hell, he was lucky, he got an oil block. Uh, no, it wasn't necessarily luck. It was the fact that the person was in the right network. Yeah. Where they were handing out oil blocks, and that person was present, and they go, oh, you, you don't try small, take one. True. True. 
all those things. It's your net, and it's why if you look at now the wealthy people and how they also do certain frivolities with their children, going to certain schools, dressing certain type of ways, um, all of that. Those yeah. matter because what they're doing is they're building a network as, as well. True. So these things, again, it still goes into studying. Studying what, why people do what they do and find out what works for who. Exactly. And if it would work for you. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's really informative. Um, and so uh, how does Get Equity help, you know, help anyone to make the right decisions around money today? So, I mean, now we're doing this uh, along multiple ways. So on startup founders, we're saying we're helping you get access to capital, right? Yeah. We're helping you get access to capital through multiple angles, helping get access to capital from raising from your own community, raising from your community for the later stage companies encourages a bit of stickiness because if let's say, for example, I have chances to use as many banks as, as possible, but let's say, for example, Kuda Bank allowed me to invest in Kuda Bank. As far as I've invested in Kuda Bank, I'm going to make sure Kuda Bank grows because I want my money to grow. True. So I'm going to make sure every part of my family uses Kuda Bank. And that is how, if you look back, that is how the GTBs and the access banks of today grew in the early 20s, in the early 2000s. Um, I read AIG's book of Living the Tarmac. AIG left GTB um, with Herbert to start up um, Access Bank. But even, I, I wish um, TA wrote his own book. TA was um, the, uh, the first MD of GTB. I wish he had written his own book. But what they did was they targeted the youth of that time. Mm. And now as those youth grew, grew... They grew with the bank. They grew with the bank. They were embedded in the bank. Yeah. Um, GTB had a kiddie savings account. Back when all the other banks were looking more at... You know, let's look at the older guys with yeah, money. Yeah, the guys with the money. The kiddies... And those kiddies over time had influence on their parents to move their monies to new banks. That makes sense. So... All these sort of things, it's again, it's a compounding effect, it's yeah. a ripple effect. So that's what Get Equity is trying to achieve with the stickiness. Um, and it's a win-win thing. For yeah. the founders, you know, you are able to own a part of the business you like. Okay. For a business, you're able to have what I would call your own army. Yeah. Evangelists. People who are evangelists. That's the <laughs> word, actually. People who are ready to... Yeah. Leave and breathe for you, and in doing that, we we also realized that like there were traditional businesses that obviously would never give you their data, but they needed what it is that we currently do, the digital aspect of what it is that we do, and that's where we came up with the infrastructure, um, with the deal room infrastructure, which okay. we have now a couple of partners like ARM. Uh, hopefully, I'll be, I'll be ARM, um, even now, investment summits, right? Invest in Africa summits. Hopefully, before the end of the month, I'll be mentioning a couple more names. Um, but like these people already, they they have, they've been doing this a traditional way and they, they've, be, they've become wealthy from doing it. Yeah. So the typical asset managers. But now, HNIs are beginning to look at venture investing as a new asset class, it's no longer real estate. Mm. It's no longer just real estate and stocks. Yeah. Now people are looking at, oh, all these startups. Everybody has seen Flutterwave is now worth, Flutterwave, a company that was started seven years ago, is now worth more than all the banks combined in Nigeria. You know? Yeah. I mean, rich people will always want to get richer. Yeah. It's just how life works. Yeah. And then they're seeing a couple of their friends who, because of proximity to some of these startup founders at that time, yeah. Have now made even more money from doing that. Maybe mm. those ones, uh, they knew the founder and they were like, okay, just take $10,000. I mean, it's this money that I would have used to go to Maldives anyways, <laughs> but take that $10,000, yeah. you know, you're a good boy. And now that $10,000 that that man said you're a good boy for is now worth a million dollars. And, you know, the man is Gara. And his friend is looking at it like, ah, yeah. Otsumba, you didn't introduce you me didn't to this thing. You didn't tell me, me about this, this is how it's working. So yeah. these kind of people are now looking at venture as a new asset class. Yeah. So where we want to be the driving force of that, okay. that's what Get Equity is. Awesome. And that's that's solid, man. That's solid. So this has been like really wonderful. I, I've been... Personally, I've also learned a lot from this conversation. Um, so do you have any last words? 
Look, I'll say to, I think my last words have been said, but I'll say this to people who are, if you're trying to get into tech, you have to study those who have come before you. Yeah. How did they get in? What were they able to do? Um, also, own a network, right? Join a network, be part of a network, network with people. Then if you're a startup founder, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you just got into money, do the same exact thing. Find out how people who had gotten into money before were able to keep, maintain, and grow their wealth. And history is always repetitive. It's happened to somebody. You're not the first person that anything is happening to. So go take a look at who it happened to before and learn from their own experience. Is that simple? Wow. Awesome. Awesome. That's powerful, man. Thank you so much for coming on this show. Thank you for having me. It's been really wonderful having you guys. I hope you learned a lot today. I hope you wrote things down. I hope you, um, you are, you you know, you're learning how to, you learned about how to, um, you know, build wealth, but beyond building wealth, you know, also gaining access, um, to the right places, reaching out to like right people, studying, about how things have been done. I mean, Judas shared a lot today and I hope that all of this makes you smarter financially and when you start hitting the bag, my DM. <laughs> <laughs> I can share my account I mean, feel free to send me, your, to send me tithe out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, feel free to send your tithe. Thank you very much and see you on the next episode of Beyond the Codes with Jeff. Bye for now. <laughs>